0: Yeah, this is, I feel like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I know everyone's heard of it, but I feel like that's a hidden gem. You know, it's not like talked about on the pantheon of like community and like all these other ones. That right? is a
1: very good point. It is a deeply underrated show. I think it, it I is. think like it won, like its first season, I think Andy Samberg won a Golden Globe, which we all know is like a the Golden Globes are a sham, but like. It really has not oh and and Andre Brower has been Emmy nominated several times. But like How has Amy, he not
0: won every single time? I
1: know. How has he not won every single time? He is the single best character on television in, in my book.
0: I'm still an Amy Santiago. Like everything she does just makes me crack up. Maybe oh. because that's like the type of person that like like, you know, that I, I have a real soft spot for people like that, you know?
1: That's so funny. She and she rubs she irritates me, but I think that's because I think that's because I see She has the qualities that I fear that I exhibit. (laughs) You know what I'm saying?
0: (laughs) I get it. I get it on a very intuitive level.
1: Very personal level. Yeah. Hey, Liz. Hi, Chris.
0: I would ask you how it's going, but... I don't know if I want the answer to this one.
1: <laughs> in the last week, every time someone's asked me that, I have prefaced it by saying, the dystopian hellscape we live in aside, I'm doing pretty okay. But As a woman
0: living in America, not so great. Asked,
1: yeah, yeah. When you Shoot. factor in the dystopian hellscape, not great. But yeah. as much as it can, be well, for grading on that curve, I'm doing okay
0: what we're referencing of course and it's on the top of both of our minds and so we're going to devote some time talking about it because how can you not
1: how right? can we not
0: basically there was a leak of a supreme court decision drafted by justice Samuel Alito basically gutting abortion protections for the entire country mm-hmm. and you know all analysis suggests that this may just be the beginning um, but staying with roe v. Wade, I mean this is something that we've been I don't know like I feel like people have been saying that this could happen, and I'll admit that in my in my like reading of things, I'm like okay that that sounds a little alarmist. I'm sure it could happen, but it's just too radical, it's too drastic. there's mm-hmm. just i I just can't fifty years of living with these rights. I just can't imagine any institution in this country having the gall to kind of turn it back like that. And mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, I had too much faith in that, even though people who have been watching the courts have been ringing this bell, they've been kind of saying, Hey, this is, this is a risk. And of course the leak happens. I have to say, I, I got caught flat footed. I don't know how you reacted, but, um, but yeah, I was shocked.
1: We knew this was coming. Like all signs pointed to this when the justices did their questioning in December, it was fairly clear that this was going to happen. I mean, it was fairly clear that this was going to happen when Amy Coney Barrett was sworn in, right? Like, we have seen this coming, but I think I did not have the ability to imagine what it would be like. Like, I couldn't wrap my head around it at all, so I just lived in denial. I cannot wrap my head around the enormity of of all of this and like what it means for women and people who can get pregnant like i it's astounding. Yeah. Um and you know like it it feels kind of the same as it did when we all realized that Trump was going to be elected on election night 2016. Yeah. Um and there's a straight line right from one to the other like this is a consequence. This is one of the aftershocks of 2016. This is like the long game that all those conservatives who voted for him, in spite of the fact that he was clearly unqualified and an asshole, like this is the long game they were playing. They were doing all of that for this.
0: I remember in the lead up to the election, like talking to people that were part of my church who clearly knew they 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 weren't under any illusions of who Trump was. They mm-hmm. they knew he was uniquely unqualified mm-hmm. um to be president and i mean i guess to their credit i don't think i can give them this credit they you know they it voting for him was a bridge too far.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But voting for Hillary they couldn't do that either. So mm-hmm. they sat it out, right? Mm-hmm. And the i was surprised at the time because it's not like abortion was on the, you know, it wasn't this animating national issue, right, you know? at that it, point. It, it's like abortion's always been there since I was born, mm-hmm. but, like, their animating thing was abortion. And I was like, really? like, Yeah. D- this is the thing that you're most, like, front of mind, mm-hmm. even though you have Donald Trump, like, about to be elected, this is still your thing. And it wasn't so much abortion as it was, well, it is about abortion, but their main thing was, oh, the Supreme Court seat mm-hmm. is the most important thing. And I yes. was like, really? Like, Because I was like, it's it, it's already a conservative majority at the time. It was like 5-4, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, well, if they were going to overturn Roe v. Wade, they had they had the numbers, you know? Yeah. Or I figure they did because it was 5-4, but now we know that John Roberts can go, kind of go either way. Right, but. right,
1: right. Yeah. John Roberts has become the moderate on the court.
0: Right, right. Which is wild if Insane. you said yeah. that like- Ten years ago, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I just figured, you know, like if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. So, what do you need? Like, why? Why is this a thing? Mm-hmm. And I was wrong. I was wrong. Like, if your goal was to, you know, have this outcome, which is to like ban a portion <laughs> across the country, mm-hmm. you know, these support Supreme Court seats, that was the long game, you know. Yeah. And I, you know, didn't take it seriously enough, I guess, you know, as an yeah. animating thing. But, um, anyways, um. Just how does, my thing is, how does one election have this many consequences? It just, I know elections have consequences, but why doesn't it feel like the other way, you know, when we, like, when Democrats win office, like, it just doesn't seem like it has these kinds of, like, enormous, life-changing kind
1: of results, you know, yeah. that we're seeing well, for I mean, I think part of it is the fact that Trump got to elect, or got to, um, Name not one, but three Supreme Court justices, like cementing this conservative majority for decades to come Obama's was supposed thing. to have three I know he was supposed I, to have i mean three. it's so upsetting to think about yeah. Um, yeah yeah, I'm curious, um I don't have that many friends in evangelical spaces anymore. I do know some people in my like you know. friends of like parents of friends who held their noses and voted for Trump with exactly this end goal in mind um but I don't have many friends in evangelical spaces anymore and I have been honestly pleasantly surprised that the few that I do have have all been horrified by this at least the ones that are commenting on my Instagram stories which I recognize as like a self-selected group but Mm -hmm. i've been surprised by some of the people who have expressed like rage and fury about this
0: it is encouraging to hear though that you know the very few that you've heard from you know it must be surprising to you right yeah no it
1: is like you know i worked at a a white evangelical mega church for several years and Mm -hmm. like the people that i've heard from from that space who are still part of similar churches have all been like pretty horrified. And I and I I feel like that's an indication of how the needle has moved maybe for our generation,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but ultimately we're not really and they're all women. I should also say that mm-hmm. <laughs> they're all women. Um yeah. And I mean like there's so much that we could say in terms of the same like evangelical bullshit reasoning around this. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to reduce abortion, like we we have data on how to do that. Like You know, it's by increasing access to contraception and increasing support from social services and outlawing abortion actually does nothing to reduce the incidence of abortion. It actually just makes it more dangerous. Um, But the people who are interested in outlawing abortion have no interest in increasing contraception or social services. Right. And so it's so hard that we have all of this hard data on, like, what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. But it's completely... It does not matter, you know what I mean, to this group of people. And, like, it's so interesting because I'm seeing all this stuff on Instagram how, like, these people are like, it's about control. And I... I, It's not about life. It's about control. And I agree with all of that. But at the same time, like, having been an evangelical at one point and knowing evangelical, these people genuinely, earnestly believe that this is murder. Mm -hmm. Right? And so you cannot, like all of the facts and all of the data are are irrelevant in light of that, right? So it's just, I just feel like there's, I don't know what hope we have of a conversation or any kind of dialogue in light of the fact, in light of that, you know what I mean? Right, right.
0: I mean, a lot of like, you know, I've been seeing these debates and I think the honest debates are ones where it's sitting with very hard truths, you know, this is a very difficult issue, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, regardless of what you believe in, like abortion and like, you know, um, and all this kind of thing, like the construction, you're right, absolutely right. Like pro-life constructions begin with this idea that you're murdering a baby, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's not enough, there's not enough construction or sharing of the construction of all the different situations that women are in that that motivate them to make this incredibly difficult decision mm-hmm. to go through an abortion. I mean, there's just so, it's like countless, right? Yeah. Like there could be a woman that has, you know, uh, you know, realized that, you know, her pregnancy is unviable or, mm-hmm. you know, like there's so or could kill her <laughs> or could kill her, put her life in danger. There are women out there that are victims of rape and incest and have to carry this child. Like there's just so many situations out there. And like, there's just very little consideration of, that person's that person's rights and that person's life mm-hmm. right and their ability to make the best decision for her there's just very little consideration of or that construction in the other side's mind yes. when when talking about this this issue and yes i just find that so dishonest and so disingenuous
1: and i think that this points to another huge problem in the theology like this like toxic evangelicalism that kind of drives this whole thinking is that like in the mind of the evangelical pregnancy is this beautiful perfect miraculous like it is the ideal state of being for women right Mm -hmm. it is a woman's highest calling to be pregnant and to have a baby and it completely disregards the reality that pregnancy is fucking brutal Right. It is brutal. Labor and delivery is brutal. Women throughout history and around the world still die regularly in childbirth because there are so many ways that being pregnant and delivering a baby can kill you. Yeah. And I feel like it is the evangelical idolization of pregnancy and motherhood that makes that like drives so much of this like dishonesty that you're talking about because it's mm-hmm. a complete unwillingness to acknowledge that like pregnancy is actually like horrifying in so mm-hmm. many ways.
0: I think that's a like a really really salient point um in terms of, you know, the idol the idolization in the minds of evangelicals. Mm-hmm. I'll add on that I think that there is also a blind spot because evangelicalism conservatism, like, continues to buy into the, the patriarchal power structures, yes, right? Yes, yes. That is why this is a huge blind spot, because men literally cannot conceive of being that woman in that position. Mm-hmm. It, if there, If men were able to get pregnant, there is no way that they would let the state decide this for
1: them. 100%
0: including on for the sake of an unborn child there's no way I completely basically agree. this is okay because there's this idea that you know hey it sucks to be a woman but you just gonna have to like deal with it right mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it doesn't affect men and so sorry you mm-hmm. get the short end of the stick but that's basically patriarchy in a in a nutshell and yeah. that is why it's this huge blind spot for these especially male but also female legislators that support, You know, this, this like getting rid of abortion rights because they just buy into that. They buy into the idea that, you know, hey, women will just, they'll deal with what, well, come what may, right? Mm -hmm. Like pregnancy must be protected, right?
1: Yeah. And we see that even in like this like masking debate, right? Like people's unwillingness to like wear a mask because like you can't tell me what to do. But then these same people are like, oh, but we can absolutely tell women that they are not allowed to have an abortion even if it's like necessary to save their life or you know like it's bananas yeah. I feel stronger about this I mean I think I have mentioned this before on this podcast but like but how becoming a parent has made me just like a vociferous advocate for birth control because I have experienced how fucking hard it is, you know. And like I I had I have had children in the best of circumstances. I had two very wanted pregnancies that were generally very smooth. I had two pretty smooth labors and deliveries. I have every privilege in the world. I have an incredibly supportive partner. And on and on and on, right? I have I'm a person of great privilege. And motherhood has almost broken me on mm. multiple occasions, right? And if it has been this hard for me, how much harder is it for like literally anyone else in the world? Right. And so, like, the fact that women are being put in a position, I'm sorry, women and people who can get pregnant, um, which is not just limited to women necessarily, but like, like the idea, like, you should only do this if you desperately want it. And the fact that, like, there are people, who will be forced to go through this who do not want it who do not have the means financially or emotionally or physically to be able to do it is like unconscionable truly so my commitment to this is like um only increased now that i have kids Mm. of my own basically yeah
0: putting a slightly more hopeful tone on this what do you think what do you think about this moving forward? I mean, this is like a bombshell in our politics. Like, how do you see this playing out? How do you, what are your hopes here, at least?
1: I hope that this is animating for the, for the midterms. Um, Democrats were not looking so great in terms of midterm potential before mm-hmm. this. And it is incredibly cynical to say this, but I hope that this really galvanizes people um i know a bunch of states are now putting reproductive rights on the ballot like i think i've heard that california is talking about making it like a constitutional amendment um, which is maybe not saying very much because california makes literally everything a constitutional amendment but like um the fact that you know many states are moving to enshrine this in legislation which is something that frankly the house and senate should do even though it's not going to happen i mean they're they're i mean they're trying but it's not going to happen um so yeah i hope it's galvanizing i hope it motivates people i hope it maybe is like the shock that we need
0: if if democrats do get a larger majority in the senate and you know the house based on animated by this it can be codified into law Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and so i don't know like Maybe this is the shot that we need. Because honestly, I didn't know. I mean, I was assuming that the Democrats were going to get wiped, wiped out,
1: out. Yeah. in the midterms. I mean, all, that's what all, all the tea leaves were pointing in that direction. And right. this is a bombshell. So yeah. who actually knows at this point?
0: We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um Hoping for the best. But, you know, it's been a shocking and very dispiriting turn of events, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, in brighter news, it is May, it is May. Uh, 2022, 2022, and May we celebrate Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Hello. Happy AAPI Heritage Month, Liz.
1: Thanks, dude. Now, I have a question for you. How <laughs> yes. long have you commemorated or acknowledged AAPI Heritage Month?
0: I will say four years.
1: Four years? Yes. Okay.
0: Four years. What happened yes.
1: four years ago?
0: I joined my current job, my workplace, okay, gotcha. and they they do, we have a uh, an Asian uh ERG, employee resource group. Mm-hmm. And when I joined it, they, you know, they celebrated it in May and ever since then it's been sort of like I I'm kind of the, I'm the chair now. Mm. And so we're every year I've been planning one thing. So, yeah. Why do you ask?
1: I'm just curious because I feel like this is like my second year celebrating it. I uh-huh. feel like it was a really big deal last year because it came so quickly on the heels of Atlanta. Yes. So I feel like people really made it a moment. But I cannot really remember like celebrating it or commemorating it in any way. Mm-hmm. And um we have a friend and colleague named Bianca Mabudi Louie, um, who is amazing um sociology PhD student expert in all things in Asian American studies um but she posted this great like zine on her Instagram the other day as she as she does sometimes and it was basically like I love seeing all of these posts celebrating like you know Asian American pioneers but Maybe liberation also means the ability to just like sit around and do nothing. And I was like, yes, thank you. For my own heritage month, I would like to do jack shit and not have to perform or educate anyone.
0: So, Definitely. Yes. Yeah. So
1: I feel like I'm already, it's, I've been celebrating, this is year two of my APAHM celebrations, and I'm already like burned out. I'm like, nah, I really. I would like it's my heritage month actually and I yeah. would like to do nothing.
0: You so. know what you should do, Liz? Hmm. Is kick back and watch a movie.
1: That would be great actually, like instead of like m- like trying to educate everybody cuz this is like the one month a year that we get any attention. Like it would be great if I was just like I am going to immerse myself in all things Asian America.
0: There used to be a time when you couldn't do that, right? Like, Correct. There, there was no movies to watch. There was it nothing was ju- to see. It, it
1: would be th- uh, 31 Days of Joy Luck Club. Pretty <laughs>
0: exactly. <much. Just> <laughs> <laughs> Better luck tomorrow. Oh, God. Um, uh, just oh my God. on repeat. That's it. That's what we would watch uh, every uh, every day of the month. Um, but four years ago, I mentioned that's when I first started um, celebrating Heritage Month. It coincided, actually, with... release of crazy rich asians Mm. which doesn't seem like it was four years ago but that was four years ago
1: god that's crazy
0: and crazy rich asians was kind i don't know how you felt about it it was kind of a strange moment for me so on one hand i definitely celebrated the fact that asians came together Mm -hmm. are featured in a in a pretty you know successful box office hit Mm -hmm. But at the same time i'm not a huge fan of rom-coms like i wouldn't go to the theater to watch rom-com yeah. right like if it's on tv mm-hmm. or streaming yeah yeah and yeah. it seemed like a fun thing maybe i'll click on it but i'm not gonna go to the theater to watch a rom-com
1: yeah that's fair but then
0: i felt like i had to because it's like i think at the time i was like this is a once in a lifetime mm, thing yeah like it's 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 it took a lot to get here and after this we're just not going to see us again for the next ten years because that's what it's been, right? Yeah. That what there was Joy Luck Club uh-huh. did marginally well, uh-huh. and then nothing for a for long like, time
1: until two thousand two.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then there was another marginal indie film, and yeah. then and then Crazy Rich East. Of course, I'm skipping over some really good ones, but you know, in terms of the ones that like really broke through into the mainstream, not that much. That was like that was the the desert that we were working with, yeah, right. So I felt conflicted. I, you know, never went and saw Crazy Rich Asians, believe it or not. I did not either. Um, I just had a baby. Would you have if you were free? Like, out of, like, feeling of, like, obligation or, like, would you have gone?
1: I mean, I can't. It's impossible to. It's impossible to imagine like I I can't run a control group because I can't imagine the control scenario because (laughs) having a kid is just so earth shattering that I cannot imagine what my life would have been otherwise. But I did for better luck tomorrow, which is not a movie I would have watched. It's like four dudes. It is such a dude movie. It's a dude movie with murder. And I was like, but I have to go, Yeah, you know? So, I mean, I was 20 at the time and I was in college, which means that I was down to do literally anything any night of the year. But, um, I did at one point feel like I had to go because it was like, if it didn't do, like it was already, it was already so unlikely. Even if it did well, there was no guarantee there would be another one, but if it did poorly, right. that was really a guarantee. There wouldn't be another one.
0: Exactly. It's easy kind of to take for granted what's happening now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but like we, we really have to remember that that's what it was. That thing that you just explained that it was so sparse and so non-existent that we had to against uh, what we actually wanted to do, which mm-hmm. was not to watch Better Luck Tomorrow, we right. like dragged ourselves <laughs> up, went to the movie theater, bought a ticket, maybe even just like milled around in the lobby, you know, for it to be done, just to be like, please make another one, yeah. right? That that's the state that we were in, right? Yeah. And then Crazy Rich Asians came out, and I fully expected us to go back into like a like Hollywood had been like, hey, we gave you one, so right. don't bother us again. And I remember at the time when Crazy Rich Asians came out. I was like telling my friends, I was like, you know, rom-coms are great, but you know what I would love? I would love an Asian American movie that was like, has depth or Mm -hmm. was a drama or was a comedy that like was kind of like made multiple audiences laugh or even Asian movies that got made that, you know, were critically panned and they actually suck Mm -hmm. or- I would love to see like a Netflix series featuring Asians. I would love to see a Pixar movie. Mm-hmm. Or what about an Asian American Marvel movie or like one that possibly wins the Oscars? You know, that was my dream world scenario. And somehow, Liz, since 2018, we got literally all of those things. I mean, yeah. I mean, just to run the list, let me just like throw these out there because you might have missed it if you were just not paying attention in four years. Parasite. Shang-Chi, Minari, Searching, The Farewell, Always Be My Maybe, Never Have I Ever. To all the boys I've ever that I've loved before. Mulan, the screen adaptation, Turning Red, the new Pixar movie, Raya the Last Dragon, you know, featuring Southeast Asians in Disney. Pachinko, the series on Apple, Blue by You, mm-hmm. Squid Game, which is a global phenomenon. Bao Columbus. You know, and then of course, most recently, and I want to talk about this a little bit more, but everything, everywhere, all at once, mm-hmm. and not to mention that we're getting Fire Island, Ugh. which features queer Asians, I I you know, a comedy that. coming yeah. out, mm-hmm. and then a biopic of like our first Asian American star, Anna Mae Wong, you know, headed up by Gemma Chan. I mean, what happened? It's- How did
1: this happen? Yeah,
0: it's hard. I think to recognize a cultural moment. I, I can already see us being like, oh, you know, like, let's watch the next Asian movie or whatever, or it's just another movie now. But like, can we just pause and be like, it, we're living in like a real miraculous time right now. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? Do you feel like this is a passing moment? Or do you think we've like crossed the threshold and now these type of movies are here to stay?
1: It feels naive to say this. It no. feels like it has to be more than a passing moment because this has been sustained now for several years, right? And in like the the post-George Floyd era that we live in, I have a difficult time imagining how studios reverse course. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And are like, we're good. We gave you all these movies and we're done. Especially in light of the fact that these movies are so bankable in Asia. Yeah. Uh and they have That's a good point massive, massive, massive market for, for this. So um even if it's Purely for economic reasons, I have a hard time imagining that this turns around. I mean, I don't know. I don't, are we gonna get another Asian superhero movie? I'm not sure, but like, I feel <laughs> like, you know, in terms of like the never have I evers of the world and the two yeah. all the boys I've loved before in the world, like that's like, I feel like those are things that are happening. I mean, thanks in large part because people like Mindy Kaling have become gatekeepers, right? Like, mm-hmm she's become a producing powerhouse she's bankable people know her people like her recognize her success and her talent and so like um you know in part it's this moment and there's momentum but in part like we're finally kind of getting through to like the seats of power and people who recognize the value of our stories are also getting to seats of power so i feel like because of all of those different streams, I'm like cautiously optimistic about the future. I
0: think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, I mean, it could be just like one of those things where right now, when I watch a movie and let's say it's an all-white, mostly male cast, mm-hmm. it's noticeable. Yes.
1: Though.
0: it's noticeable for how bland it is.
1: Yes, and I have I feel permission uh-huh. to be like, "No thanks and right the no to articulate the no thanks that frankly I've always felt. Yeah, but did not have option like I didn't. We didn't have other options, right? And I never right. felt like permission to be able to be like, this is not for me. But like every fucking book we read in high school, I was like, where is my entry point into this story? Why are we reading like yet another book about like old white dudes in the 1800s? But now finally, I have a permission structure to be like, this is not for me.
0: Right, opt out. Yeah, opt out of the canon. Yes. You know? Oh
1: God out of the canon. That's so right. Who's canon? Not my canon. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So, do you still feel that? I guess obligation to see Asian movies when they come out or series when they come out.
1: Mm, That's such a good question. I mean, I so I don't feel obligated in part because I have children and they take up all my time and all of my energy. But like, I like to support when I can. But I have to say that sometimes. Like I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the, all the representation. I'm so grateful for like the diversity of stories that are being told and the diversity and quality. They don't some of yes. them can be bad. And it doesn't mean that that's like we're all fucked as a result, right? <laughs> but some of the stories I have to say, like yeah. I are just like too close to me to and like a little bit too painful for me to yeah. feel like I can go see. And I, I think a movie like Tiger Tail, for example, which was mm-hmm. Alan Yang's film. Uh, it was like his father's story of immigrating from Taiwan to the U S like I knew watching the trailer that I could not watch this movie right? because right. immigration is trauma and yeah. watching basically my parents' story on screen, like truly too close. Like I, I, I could not bear to like have, like I, I the stories themselves are already so harrowing. Like, so to have them to like, to have to watch them, like that's not entertainment for me. Right. Mm, so Yeah. So, while I'm so grateful that that story is being told, like I honestly don't think that I have the emotional bandwidth to be able to consume it, yeah, and so it's in the I feel like I was in this weird position where like I would certainly encourage other people to watch it, and I would buy a ticket for other people to watch it, but like for me myself like i I don't think I can do it.
0: I think I had a similar feeling. I did end up watching Minari
1: hmm.
0: I mean brilliant movie, um, yeah, um, and beautiful. everything, just meditative, beautiful, but like going into it. I really, you know, like, first of all, I think it took me a bit. It took me a while to, like, you know, work myself up to want to see it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I ever really fully got there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just
0: knew I kind of had to. Yes. I. But it was a different kind of obligation. It was just sort of like I knew going in, people were saying that it was an excellent film. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to see the treatment of this story Mm. through the lens of an excellent film yeah and so then but it took me a while to kind of get myself up there and then when I watched it like yeah beautiful and everything I mean it's not like fully relatable because it was like Korean Americans in Arkansas Mm -hmm. and a chicken farm you know Mm -hmm. like like you know doing um you know doing agriculture it's not necessarily my parents immigration story mm-hmm. but it's still koreans in america and like the stuff that they went through and there are a lot of like strands there that i i related to but i remember we watched this one it was like a drive one of those drive-through movies uh-huh. on the like where you can stay in your car
1: uh-huh.
0: and i remember kind of looking around taking scope and like you know of course there were asians there but like i would say the majority were not asian wow Hmm. And you know, they were like drawn in and I had mixed feelings. I mm. have to say, like, I'm very proud that this is being on there. But there was this part, there are the things that I know that I'm catching
1: mm-hmm.
0: that are totally lost to everybody else. Yeah. And I don't know why that bothered me or that why that bothers me even now. Maybe it's that feeling that you said about like, I just want to like get on a megaphone and like explain everything to everybody. Yeah. You I, know?
1: I, I I I relate to that. It's like a fear of being misunderstood yeah and like I want so desperately for people to understand, yeah i I want I'm glad that people are are watching the story, and I don't want them to misconstrue it or to like to take away something about my culture or my family that is incorrect as a result of their consuming the movie right.
0: It's a very vulnerable feeling,
1: yeah, no, yeah. and I mean, if I'm being completely transparent, like this is why i did not we did not do a tea ceremony as part of our like wedding. Mm. um i mean we did one privately afterwards but i was like i don't want non-asian the non-asian people at this wedding i don't want this to be an object of fascination for non-asian people at this wedding totally i don't and this is thing this was like the pre-instagram era but like i can just totally see a white person filming, a, like putting it up on an Instagram story and being like, look at this like thing that I watched today. You know what yeah. I mean? And I was just like, yeah. I don't want this. So we just did it privately, and I felt way more comfortable as a result of that.
0: I mean, great choice. Great choice. I mean, in, in Korean weddings, we have this thing called pebek.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I mean, for everyone who decided to do one, I'm like totally supportive and like I'm happy to see it. And every time I attend, it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. But I felt the same thing. Like when when you have particularly white people, but like non-Asian people, like kind of like looking at this and like filming it and mm-hmm. taking pictures. Mm-hmm. It felt like I was in a zoo. Yes. It's not yes. a good feeling. No.
1: Thank you. And thank you so much for like normalizing that for me. Cause like part of me, like when I interrogate this, I'm like, is this internalized racism? And like, maybe, maybe that's mixed in there somewhere, but it's really just like, I don't want this to be something that you consume to like, make yourself feel good or like to make yourself look good on Instagram or whatever, right? Like, I don't, and I certainly don't want you to misunderstand what's happening here. So like, I just like, I would rather keep it to myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe not as an intense way, but that's kind of how I felt with these genre movies that like tell, told those painful immigration stories or something that's like very close to home mm-hmm. and close to the bone. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about having all of these Asian movies is that now we're getting like subgenres of Asian movies, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. you can have a Marvel movie, which is Shang-Chi and just watch it to have fun without all the baggage mm-hmm. of Aminari or, or, you know, red tail, I mean, sorry, tiger tail, mm-hmm. um, And you could just watch it for fun. And this is the part of, I think, the cultural shift that I'm enjoying now the most because I wanted to see Parasite not out of obligation, but because I thought it was going to be a freaking fun movie, Mm -hmm. you know, and like thoughtful and incisive and biting. And it's really, it's not like being presented to an audience for their meditation and like, you know, almost like a tea ceremony. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, here's my culture for you to consider and like observe, parasite. It's like you are the audience. You sit down, and I'm gonna blow you away mm, by how p- good of a movie I'm. Pure is, entertainment. Know? Pure entertainment. Mm. And audiences are they're not the audience in the way that we just talked about in yeah, the tea ceremony or the Peck. That
1: is such an interesting distinction, and I could see the same being true for Squid Game too. Like totally, people aren't watching it and being like, "What am I learning about Korean culture?" Like they're just there to be entertained
0: totally that's totally. fascinating
1: i've never thought about that
0: before yeah and so yeah i can kind of distinguish so i find that in the former like with pachinko i'm drawn to i, I want to watch pachinko because i read the book mm-hmm. and i'm curious about the adaptation right but if i hadn't read the book pachinko would be in that same genre as minari or something where i have to like work myself up to watch it
1: yeah sometimes it feels like homework when you know it's gonna hit you in that way you're <laughs> yeah. just like oh my god like i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna bear it
0: totally so in terms of the movies that are on the other category like the bangers the ones that are just like gonna blow your audio, like just hair back i think i talked about this scene i don't know if you remember this liz but i talked about this movie when they first dropped the preview
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, everything everywhere all at yes, once
1: yes you did talk about it
0: because Michelle yo was on my l- new celebrity crush list. And I am just, I'm so thankful she's on my list uh-huh. because it's like a timestamp. <laughs> Truly. Validating. Yes. I was right. Yes. All along. Before
1: this movie came out.
0: <laughs> you can look up the podcast episode. There's a date stamp on it and everything. But when I saw this preview, I was like instantly like, I have to watch this movie. Mm. And for a while, I thought it was my own. Because, you know, it's an indie, it's an A24. Yeah. You know, the, these are limited release kind of like independent studio type of things. Mm-hmm. I thought it was my little secret for a while, you know? <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, you know, this this crazy movie. And by the time I ended up watching it, it the word was already out, yeah. right? That yeah. this thing was like beyond anything I've seen. Mm-hmm. And, oh, man, like, so I watched this movie in Brooklyn Hmm. um and you know there's this really cool theater called the Uh Nighthawk in Brooklyn and they're they're kind of like you know they show a lot of kind of alternative films and they they have a real reverence for films Mm. like like the films that they show Mm. and before the movie started um there was they they played this reel which the I think the theater stitched together and it was like a retrospective of Michelle Yeoh's greatest hits oh my
1: god
0: It was a reel of like, you know, it was like a, you know, a good five to six minute reel of all the movies she's ever made.
1: Jesus. I mean, I would pay money just to watch that.
0: Oh, man. I got it. I have to say I was very emotional watching it because this is somebody who, you know, we know about now, but even before she was a Bond girl, before Crouching Tiger, she had this whole career that could have just, you know, been just, you know, like it could have been a... Person that nobody even thinks about mm-hmm. anymore. And she got the right breaks and she got to where she is, you know. Mm-hmm. But a lot of martial arts films, a lot of these things, but a lot of stuff I've never seen her in, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when that reel ended, it was it was a real tribute to Michelle Yeoh. Mm-hmm. It really was. And this movie was like, it was like, here, Michelle Yeoh, you've, you've really toiled in this industry for so long. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've taken roles that you didn't really want. Here is now your canvas to hmm. like be literally everything. Hmm. I mean, it's in the title. Yeah. All at once, yeah. right? Just be manic, be funny, be be dramatic, be sad, be happy, be distracted, like all of the emotions just lay it all out there. Mm-hmm. And she gets that opportunity to do that Ugh. and it's like it's it's an apex moment in her career. I
1: love that so much. I love that so much because what an icon, right? And like she is, she is such a strong actor and she usually plays these characters with like incredible physical and or emotional strength, right? Like they're crouching tiger, they're like kicking ass, she's a Bond girl, or she's like the icy matriarch and crazy rich Asians. But like to get a role where she can play all the things and like show yeah. the entire range of her abilities – I mean, any actor would be so lucky, but like the fact that this absolute icon gets this opportunity, I mean, it's like poetic justice, right?
0: truly, truly. <sighs> and the movie itself, I mean, I don't want to spoil it because you haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. It is there is no movie like this. Mm-hmm. It is remarkably original. Mm-hmm. It breaks all the rules, mm-hmm. and it's like it could it could easily it's like it's kind of like Hamilton like. The idea of Hamilton could easily be like, what were you thinking? Yes, this it is could, like, so
1: many ways it could have gone wrong. <laughs> yeah,
0: like it could have been like, what were you thinking? Like just so out there as a concept, but like they just go all in and they're just like, I don't know what's going to happen. And it's brilliant. Mm. It's it's just unbelievable. And I just want to also, I'm going to butcher his name, unfortunately, but I also want to give out a shout out to Kehui Kwang. who, mm. um, the little kid from Indiana Jones, Goonies, and then where was he? He couldn't get a role. He
1: retired from acting. He retired
0: because he couldn't get a role,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know? And, like, there was no place for him. And, you know, he was talking about that in interviews. And, again, that made me emotional because when he comes out, I'm like – I have no idea if this guy can act, right? Mm. Because I've literally, the last time I saw him was in Indiana Jones as like a completely typecasted racist portrayal of right. an Asian kid, right, right? Right, right? Like, I don't know if he can act. And he kills it. Amazing. He destroys this role. And I don't know. It's it's really just inspiring.
1: And he says in interviews that it was watching crazy rich Asians that made him mm-hmm. get back into the business because he finally saw a path forward for him in the industry. Right. And that's like fucking bonkers. Like, and I mean, like that, say which, I mean, whatever you feel about the movie itself, but like the fact that the movie had that kind of impact, that it would take actors who thought that the industry was done with them and it brought them back into, it brought them back and like to give performances like that, which I have not seen myself, but like everybody says it's incredible. Like, that's. That's an important movie. This this mm-hmm. silly rom-com is like such yeah. an important film.
0: It makes me want to know like what's next, you know? And that's mm. a great question to have. Like when I saw Michelle Yeoh having her moment, I'm like, I felt this urgency. Like mm. who else should get that kind of a a spotlight, mm-hmm. like a star turn, an opportunity to like reintroduce themselves to American audiences or Western audiences mm. Does anyone come to mind? I mean, I kind of feel like I want to see more Harry Shum Jr. I mean,
1: I think he's very underutilized. Like, talk about yes. hidden gems are are coming top five, but Ooh. like, yeah, he ever since Glee, underutilized. Totally,
0: cool. he can dance. He's good looking. Yeah, he's got good comedic timing. I mean, yeah. give him some roles. Give him, come on.
1: give this dude some roles.
0: Harry Shum Jr. I'm
1: with you. Um I can't say I d- I don't have specific stars in mind but I have to say that like I am so fucking excited for Fire Island this summer. Um for those who are not familiar Joel Kim Booster is this incredible comic. He's Korean American, he's gay, he's adopted. He read Pride and Prejudice while on Fire Island and was like this why has nobody adapted this story for gay men on Fire Island because this social commentary <laughs> is completely applicable to what's happening here.
0: Perfect connection. So
1: he ends up writing it and um starring in it with Bowen Yang, another mm-hmm. god, I just I love him so much. Um but I love that there is this queer Asian American romantic comedy coming. And I love Joel Kim Booster and Bowen Yang so much because I feel like both of them first of all, they're both like crazy funny. I have talked about Bowen Yang's Iceberg and Los Culturistas, his podcast, like anything Bowen Yang is in, I'm consuming. Um, but I also just love that they expand the boundaries for what Asian American masculinity looks like. Yeah. I love that my two sons will have these examples of what it looks like to be an Asian American man. Like I feel so grateful that they are, you know, performing and also making their own shit and continuing to push the boundaries forward. I love that so much. Totally. Um, when people think about Asian American, they think about us, you and me, basically, right? Cishet East Asian people. And I would just love to see more stories that like, again, just like feature people who are often marginalized in this like definition of Asian American. Right. So like, I love fire Island because like queer queer is Asian too. Right. And I would love more stories that are specifically about multiracial Asian experiences because multiracial is Asian too. And like, what can we do to keep like expanding this definition and this umbrella of what it means to be Asian American? Not, I mean, not just for people who aren't Asian, but also for people in our own communities, right? Because, like, honestly, for a long time growing up, like, I, too, thought that Asian American was just, like, cishet East Asians, right? So, like, I think that's important, like, not just for other people, but also for us.
0: Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're inspired, to, you want to yeah. go watch that movie and not, like, another one is, like, that's where I've always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't have to watch Blue Bayou anymore, right, you know? right we can watch like if we're excited about Fireland, then we'll go watch it yeah. you know
1: yeah
0: happy uh happy asian american heritage month
1: thanks you too dude i hope you eat all the asian snacks your heart desires this month <laughs> all of them
0: i'm working on it <laughs> all right our top 5 for this week hidden gems
1: Ugh.
0: and by the definition by the title hidden gems It suggests that we have to work to unearth these gems. Yes. Did you have to work?
1: I had to work to unearth this list.
0: So with that disclaimer, Mm -hmm. um, I kind of tried to vary the categories a little bit. Mm -hmm. So my number five, I wanted to have some kind of like thing that people can go buy. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to be a little spokesperson. Okay. Um, I'm in the world of athleisure right now. And that's that's a very important thing for me because that's all I'm wearing right now. Yes.
1: I mean, you and the rest of the world.
0: Yes, because I'm not going back to the office, and I don't feel good about just wearing pajamas all day. Right. So my routine this morning, every morning now, is to take off the pajamas and put on a full leisure.
1: Amazing. Amazing.
0: And there's a brand called Vori. Do you know Vori? No.
1: Can you okay, spell so that? Okay, it's
0: still V-U-O-R-I.
1: Okay. That is so many vowels. Okay.
0: Yes. It is a perfect wordle term. <laughs>
1: Except V is not that common in the letter. But anyway, carry on.
0: Yes, Vori. So my partner got this for me for my for, for Christmas, uh-huh. like a gift. Uh-huh. It is, I mean, the perfect kind of stretchy. It's like support. It's comfortable. It's breathable. And it's one of those like fabrics that just kind of like move with you wow. in the perfect ways.
1: Okay. Thank you for this. I really appreciate this. I've, I have just decided recently that leggings are like my new personality. And so- um Mm -hmm. i'm on the lookout for more athleisure
0: okay so vori v-u-o-r-i look it up on wordle it's (laughs) right number four um i'm gonna go with an international travel destination Uh and there are a lot like i was thinking about yeah a few places that are kind of off the map a little bit Uh so this one is not off the map but it's in europe Mm -hmm. and it's like it's not really thought of when you think of europe you think you know Paris, you know, Rome, you know, London. Florence, Rome, London, mm-hmm. like these major ones, mm-hmm. and I feel like Vienna doesn't really mm-hmm. get mentioned on that mm-hmm. list, mm-hmm. even though everyone knows Vienna. It's not necessarily a hidden thing, yeah. But in particular, their Christmas markets, Vienna mm-hmm. in the Christmas time. Mm-hmm. So, of course, like the whole Germanic side, like I think Germany is like really famous for their Christmas markets. I mean, so is Austria and and Czechoslovak- like Czech Republic, but but Vienna. Not a lot of people talk about it, but I found Vienna to be a really comfortable place, Mm -hmm. really charming. Mm A lot of beautiful architecture, like beautiful state opera houses, Mm. and like people are like playing classical music everywhere. You just feel like very elevated when you go to Vienna. Nice. And then, and then their Christmas markets were just like I didn't know what a I didn't know what Christmas markets were. Uh You know that whole I knew, I guess like I've seen it in movies and stuff, but I didn't know it was such a thing. Uh Until I went to Vienna. I didn't go for Christmas market. I was there for work. Uh-huh. But then, you know, I, was, I went to the hotel lobby. And I'm like, hey, what should I do? It's my first time in Vienna. And they're like, maybe you should go to the Christmas market. I'm like, that sounds charming. <laughs> I go down the street and I'm just like, this is the greatest. Like, we're, we've been doing Christmas all wrong. Mm. It's like mold wine. Like, people are caroling outside. It's like, you know, delicious treats in the air. Like, handmade trinkets.
1: It's the best. I love that.
0: Number three, Solving. So I wanted a US destination. Mm-hmm. Solving, um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard Solving. Um, it's like a Danish town uh-huh. right up north of Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. Very charming, very fun, good food. And it's like you don't have to go to Napa Valley and like break your bank. Mm-hmm. Like it's in the middle of like this really great wine producing region. Um, it is mm-hmm. expensive still, but it used to be a little bit more under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but solving is this like very charming thing. So if you're ever in Southern California and you just want like a quick getaway, solving is a great little hidden gem. That's
1: a great choice. I Thank really you. like that. As somebody who used to live in Southern California, that's a great choice.
0: Yeah, yeah. I feel like Southern Californians know about it. Maybe other people have heard of it, but maybe it's like, do you ever travel there? Right. <laughs> not. Uh, I'm going to stay in Southern California. And for sure, this is not a hidden gem for Southern Californians, but for everybody else, I know this is going to sound weird, but Knott's Berry Farm, I feel like, is kind of a hidden I gem. I mean,
1: it lives in the shadow of Disneyland.
0: Exactly. Literally,
1: no one goes to Knott's Berry Farm. And as a newcomer to Southern California, I was like, the fuck? Knott's Berry yeah. Farm is not at all a berry farm, it's an amusement park.
0: <laughs> it used to be a berry stand, mm, from what a I understand. I think that,
1: stand.
0: Yeah. It used to be this thing where, like, this person was just like selling. Was it like fruit or berry or compost? I don't know what it was, but they were like selling it. And then it was like a popular stop. And then they built, and then they started building amusement things and it kind of grew out of that. But it's just this random amusement park that's just in Buena Park, like out of nowhere. And they have great funnel cakes.
1: (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) It's like, it's really good.
0: (laughs) And yeah, it's kind of got this like weird suburban charm to it. Mm -hmm. So.
1: Yeah, I love that so much, because no one is ever out here stumping for Knott's Berry Farm. Literally, no one who is out here looking for looking out for the little guy. It's you. So good for you.
0: That's my number two. Number one, I got a New York City pro tip for everybody. All right. One of the worst things of New York City is you're walking around and there's nowhere to go use the bathroom. Uh huh. It, it, it's a disaster. I mean, it's like what you are a modern city. What are you doing? Yeah. Right. So. If you live there, you got to know where your bathroom stops are, right? If you're going into this area, you got to know that that crate and barrel uh, uh, on 14th Street has a pretty decent bathroom on the second floor. You got to know that stuff, you know? My favorite is the New York Public Library.
1: Ooh.
0: Very central, 40th and 5th. Uh Nobody uses it and their facilities are immaculate.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Right. And it's free. You can just walk in. It's a public library. You don't have to feel bad about not buying anything. So, you know, sometimes there's guilt. Like you go into Barnes and Nobles and you just use the bathroom and you just go out. You know, you're not buying anything. Mm-hmm. You don't have to feel that way in New York Public Library. It's a public library. It's there for you. Yeah. you
1: know?
0: Also, if you just need if you don't want to pay for a co-working space, you don't have calls.
1: Uh-huh. Free Wi-Fi. Oh. You
0: can work the public library.
1: Public library truly underutilized uh, gem. So I am very glad you brought it up, both for the next time I'm in New York so I can use that bathroom, and also because public libraries in general are hidden gems. <laughs> I love it. I love the whole list. I love the variety. I love. I love the um, the expansiveness of the definition of hidden gem.
0: Thank you. Yeah. And I know you work for yours. Yes. So I'm excited yes. to hear your top five.
1: Yes, I did work for this. So I'm excited to share it with you. My number five is the University of Michigan Musical Theater Senior Showcase, which is fresh on my mind because I just saw it a few days ago. So the University of Michigan, which I live three miles south of, has arguably the best musical theater program in the country. Its graduates go on like immediately to like Broadway and national tours and all of that. And... Um, every spring, right after commencement, they do a showcase for agents and casting directors and industry people in New York. And right before they do that, they preview it in Ann Arbor on campus on commencement weekend. And anyone can go. So for $35, you get to see 24 people perform who in a matter of weeks or months, you will have to pay hundreds of dollars to see on Broadway. So, the ability to see like this insane talent um, for 35 bucks in my backyard, in terms of like entertainment value to cost, like it's like the in and out burger of deals.
0: Excellent. Yes. Thanks. Public infrastructure. There's a theme coming up. Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, My number four is the Brioche at 85C Bakery. For those of you who are not familiar, 85C is a Taiwanese bakery chain that is also in very specific parts of the U.S. Like it's in northern and southern California. It's in I don't even think it's in New York. It's in Seattle. It's in Texas. It is it it does both like classic Taiwanese buns, but also modern ones. Like it has a squid ink one and it's also famous for its sea salt lattes. And so in the midst of all of these choices, I had never looked at the brioche because the brioche just looks like a row of like boring ass dinner rolls. It's like four beige rolls in a pack, right? So like not interested. Give me the squid ink, right? But my aunt um, once bought this for my mom and I tried it and I was like, holy shit, what the fuck is this? (laughs) It is so good. Have you ever had their brioche? I
0: might have. I mean, everything, it's hard because everything I eat at 85 Degree Bakery is good. Yes. So, correct. I'm sure I've had correct. it. Correct. Yes.
1: But it is just like buttery, flaky, perfect. It is so good. So, uh, so easy to overlook because it looks so ordinary compared to like the, you know, the more eye catching one, like the rose or the taro swirl or whatever. But truly, this. Completely ordinary looking row of brioche. It's the hidden gem of bakery items anywhere. My number three is a writer at Saturday Night Live named Celeste Yim. So the thing about Saturday Night Live is that you need excellent performers, but you also need excellent writers. And the writers never get enough credit because you don't see them, right? Right. But like without great writing, characters like Stefan never happen, you know, that quirky Sarah Lee sketch with with Harry Styles that I've talked about before doesn't happen. You need people to write this stuff, right? And Celeste Yim is a writer who is behind so many of my favorite sketches in recent years. So the Bonjour High sketch, Glitter Revolution with Kim Kardashian- the new trend forecasters that ad bryant and bowen yang play um it's all because of celestium they're so good they collaborate a lot with bowen um they're korean canadian um they're queer like they just have this like really hilarious like sensibility that i just love and i find so delicious and like they and bowen really play well off of each other and like create just amazing bat shit hilarious stuff
0: definitely qualifies as a for sure that's for sure sure. that's my number three
1: my number two is the city of south pasadena california
0: wow um, where i was very
1: fortunate to live so i had never heard of south pass before i lived in pasadena but it is a small town without any of the narrow-mindedness that accompanies small towns So there's like a very charming main street. There's an awesome farmer's market every Wednesday or Thursday night that has like just food, like food from all over the world. So like people go and they bring picnics or they like we used to just like I used to get pupusas from this pupusa stand. It was just like international options galore. And it's Southern California. So it's beautiful and it's warm There's a great library. The schools are good. It's diverse. Um, My spouse and I correctly identified when we were living there. Like, this is the best place we're ever going to live. And I'm glad that we knew that and were able to appreciate that when it was happening. And yeah, best place I'll ever live. My number one is quite literally something that's hidden. It is the Neiwai Bra, which has changed my life in the last six weeks. Tell me. more. So we don't talk enough about bras and the fact that the overwhelming majority of women wear them and they are uncomfortable. Like most of them have underwire, which is like not a comfortable thing to wear. You always have to worry about straps falling or if you're in a professional setting about straps being visible, like they're just like we talk a lot about high heels being uncomfortable, but like not enough time is spent on the fact that like this undergarment that like the overwhelming majority of women wear is like Why are we all suffering like this, right? Um, But a friend told me about this bra and how she'd converted everyone she knew to wearing it. And another friend was like, agreed, I am one of her converts. I was like, I think I have to try this. And oh my God, it has changed my life. It is so comfortable. There's no iron underwire. It fits perfectly. And it's somehow also one size fits all. Everyone between a 31A and a 40D fits perfectly. and it is bananas. Like I am never conscious of the fact that I'm wearing it, which is a completely new state of being for me. And in fact, the first few days I wore it, I would become conscious of the fact that I wasn't uncomfortable and how unfamiliar that felt. So at the ripe age of 39 I feel like I have entered this new chapter in my life in which this like constant slight discomfort is gone and it feels like freedom. I do not get any money from them for saying this or for promoting them on my Instagram. I just desperately want women to be comfortable and to not live in the tyranny of uncomfortable bras.
0: I have no idea what you're talking about. but I'm going to take your word for it.
1: Please do. Please do. Um, I can't recommend this more highly.
0: Well, Liz, your work certainly paid off with a stunning list of hidden gems. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Yours too, man. I think, I think sometimes when, when faced with a challenge, our minds rise to the task.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: (laughs) Um, What should we do next time?
0: So I got into this top five. I've piloted this one. It's kind of like the Asian snacks thing. Uh Surprisingly was a fun topic. Top five condiments.
1: I love this because I have opinions and also because it is a much more concrete thing to make a list of and my brain could use a little bit of a break after working so hard for this one.
0: There is a a universe of condiments out there. Yes
1: especially if you shop at Trader Joe's like I do, and they are constantly rolling out new condiments. This is going to be fun, Chris.
0: Yes. Can't wait.
1: Yes. Speaking of fun, this was fun.
0: This was so much fun. And all things considering, I'm surprised to say that.
1: Yes. Dystopian hellscape aside, this was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Can't top that. (laughs)